Express FM. Supported by Highbury College. We are passionately pumping. New beginnings, look forward, work together to create a Portsmouth football club that we can all be proud to be associated with. Pure, unadulterated pumping. It's a massive club, it's a massive opportunity for me. I know this atmosphere is special. I can't wait to see a full house and it rocking. Action and reaction. This is a huge football club. We're here to be hopefully successful. The infrastructure is changing, so really we want to start pushing forward and making Portsmouth a real force. Giving Pompey fans a voice. It's a club with a rich tradition, a rich heritage, but one that has an excellent relationship with its supporters. This is the Football Hour. The one team that stands out that's historic, that's had great success, that has a fan base that is amazingly passionate, is Portsmouth. A stroke of fortune for Pompey at Priestfield. Lovely from Jacobs. Across the face of goal and in! It's going to go down as an own goal! But Pompey have won it in stoppage time! And all the credit has to go to Michael Jacobs! Michael Jacobs not credited with the goal, but certainly responsible for it, as the Blues made it nine unbeaten and six wins in a row right at the death against Gilligan. Head coach Danny Cowley is pleased to see his team's hard work finally paying off after a difficult start to the season. I'm really pleased for everybody to associate with the club because it's been tough and we're, we're now six wins on the trot, nine unbeaten and we're fighting exceptionally hard. We've also been shown new pictures of the proposed redevelopment of Fratton Park. Chief Executive Andrew Cullen will be talking about his hopes to improve the matchday experience a little later in the show. I'm very, very conscious that a lot of the concourses in the stadium are very, very difficult to work, but difficult to operate. And that's something as part of this project that we can start to make better, improve the experience. You join us here on Express FM on this cold Monday night. Wrap up warm and don't move a muscle because you're listening to the Football Hour. This is the Football Hour 93.7 Express FM. A very good evening and welcome along to another instalment of the Football Hour, which is being driven to you this season by Stagecoach Across the South. Download the app now from either the Apple app or Google Play Store to plan your next journey across Portsmouth or even further beyond along the South Coast and Hampshire. On tonight's show, we've got two more Pompey voices on to talk about the latest news coming out of the club, including a detailed review of Saturday's performance at Gillingham. And as always, we are keen to hear from you back home. What did you make of the game at the weekend? Were the Blues deserving of their victory? Who was your man of the match? And how did you feel Ronan Curtis handled being captain for the day? All the usual ways. It's 81400 on the text, starting your messages with the word express. You can email Pompey at expressfm.com, tweet using at expressfm, or you can head over to facebook.com forward slash Pompey live. Before we get into the thick of the conversation tonight, we're going to take you all the way back to Saturday afternoon. A bitterly, bitterly cold afternoon of that up in Gillingham. As Pompey sought to extend their unbeaten run to nine games in all competitions, with the aim of also recording a sixth consecutive victory in the process. Everything we do is passionately Pompey. A wonderful goal! Every second of the action is right here. Ninety minutes of passionately Pompey commentary. He's gone! This is you wouldn't believe it. Pompey Live. Shaking hands in the middle, doing the coin toss. Ronan Curtis, Danny Cowley's choice as captain today, without Clark Robertson, Lee Brown, or Sean Ruggett. We'll see Portsmouth going from right to left as we get things underway. As Gillingham go forward, Sean Williams and the ball plays it. The ball is loose in midfield. That's a bad touch from O'Keefe, and it goes out of play. Very Portsmouth are on halfway, just down on the left-hand side, inside their own heart. As Bazunu was all in great today, clears it long, that's a terrible header at the back, and Hurst has hit the bar! He's so unlucky, ball is still loose, Gillingham are surely going to get it clear, and Hurst taking advantage of a terrible bit of defending, inches away from giving Portsmouth the lead, 0-0. Ball played down the touchline, Morel in field, looking for Harness, can Harness get there? No. Tucker was quick. Oh, and Ogilvy's been turned by Akindi. And Akindi could be thrown goal here. Akindi is thrown goal. And he side foot backs it, it straight to Bazunu. What a tame shot from a great position, 0-0. And Gillingham have it. And Amos going to go long. He's going to look for Akindi. And he might find Akindi. It's maybe a yard too far. Oh, Akindi and Bazunu have collided. And no penalty is the decision by the referee. Into the final five minutes, 0-0. Bazunu clears long into the night sky over halfway Harrison is battling with Amer. referee says there's no foul there it's loose uh, can Pompey get on it 
Stab clear, oh, that's an error. And Jacobs has it outside the area. Unbelievably, the referee has then wow. decided to stop play and go and see Aimer. And Nicky and Danny Cowley cannot believe it. Just as Pompey have the ball outside the penalty area. Now, obviously, players stopped as the ball's put in the back of the net, but that is a huge decision by the referee because he didn't stop it initially. No. And then he stops play. Romeo goes short and Curtis back to goal, lays it off to Romeo. Romeo just standing up to the far post. Oh, will be the target! It's Leeson the six, holding them, hacking away. What a former club. Oh, it's thrown into the area to Jacobs from the dead ball line. Lovely from Jacobs. Across the face of goal and in! It's going to go down as an own goal! But Pompey have won it in stoppage time! And all the credit has to go to Michael Jacobs, who out of nothing has grabbed all three points for Portsmouth. Danny Cowley celebrates on the touchline. Gillingham nil, Portsmouth won. Portsmouth have won six games in a row. They've beaten Gillingham thanks to Jack, Jack Tucker's own goal in stoppage time. It's hugs all round for Michael Jacobs, whose brilliant skill made it. Pompey have won. Every second of the action is right here. This is 93.7 Express FM. Pompey live. No one saw that coming, did they? On the uh, 90th minute, Pompey 1-0 victors over Gillingham at the weekend in one of his scrappiest games you'll ever see in League One. And uh, yeah, Pompey snatching it right at the death touch of class from Michael Jacobs. But we'll come on to talk about um, whether it was actually uh, his goal or not. I'm not not quite sure that would go down to the dubious goal panel. But nonetheless, a victory for Pompey, which keeps them ninth in the League One table. However, nine games unbeaten and six wins in a row in all competitions. Some other results from the weekend then. AFC Wimbledon drew 2-2 with Fleetwood. Bolton also a 2 all draw at home to Cheltenham. Burton, they beat Doncaster by two goals to nil. Sunderland beat Cambridge 2-1 away from home. Morecambe fell to a 4-0 defeat at home to MK Dons. Oxford and Rotherham played out a 0-0 draw at the Kassam. Plymouth Argyle were defeated 2-1 by Wigan Athletic. Also an injury time winner for the visitors at home park. Sheffield Wednesday and Wickham, another 2 all draw there. Shrewsbury beat Charlton by a goal to nil. Accrington Stanley, they defeated Tuesday night's opponents, Lincoln City, by a goal to nil at Sinsel Bank. And uh, on on Sunday, not sure what happened there, on Sunday, <laughs> Ipswich beat Crew Alexandria by two goals to one. Not sure why that game was played on Sunday, but it was. Uh, so the table continues to look like this. Rotherham are top, Wigan are second, uh, Wickham Plymouth, Sunderland and MK Dons make up the playoff places. Pompey, as I mentioned, remain in ninth. The relegation zone, because of that defeat to Gillingham, they drop into the bottom four. Fleetwood, Doncaster and Crew join them in the relegation zone. OK, let's welcome in my guests for this evening's conversation. First of all, Tom Malley making it into the studio at the nick of time. Tom, great to see you. Yeah, great to be back. Thank you, mate. Always enjoy it. And, uh, you know, after Saturday's result, can't wait to get talking. And uh, joining us over the powers of the internet, Mark McGee. Great to have you along board, mate. Hi, Jake. Nice to meet you, mate. Nice to see you, Gavin. So, uh, let's talk about Saturday then, Tom. If we're being completely honest, not the most exciting of games to actually pick apart. But the crucial thing being, Pompey got the win. Yeah, absolutely. It was probably the worst game I've seen this season, potentially. Off the top of my head, um, it, it had nothing, did it, really? Um, and, you know, it took until the last minute for something good to actually happen. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, that's all that matters. You know, it could have been the worst game, but at the end of the day, you get the three points and that's all you can really take from it. Yeah, and that followed on, Mark, from arguably Pompey's best performance of the season away to Lincoln City on Tuesday night, which was followed up on Saturday away to Gillingham, as Tom mentioned there, but probably the, the worst football match that we, you know, we've seen all season. But the, the crucial thing, as I said to Tom there, Pompey got the win. It's nine unbeaten now and six victories in all competitions in a row. It doesn't matter how you get them. It's just that you get them over the line. And that's what Pompey done on Saturday. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the conditions were horrendous. And, and as as I'm sure you saw, Jake, you know, it was one of the scrappiest games I've seen. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I've got to be honest, I wasn't expecting that last minute uh, that last minute goal because we didn't really threaten much in the game. But, yeah, as you say, we've come away with another win. And here we are on uh, yeah, nine, nine games now. What, what, what result? 
Great run for Pompey. Tom, still ninth in the League One table. However, now two points off of the playoff places, but you've still got the likes of MK Dons, Oxford and Sunderland all having games in hand on Pompey. But, you know, heading into December now, which we will be the next time we, we, we come up against the League One opposition, Pompey ninth from the table. After the, well, let's face it, the dreadful start we had to the campaign, would, would you have imagined us being in this position right now? After the first three games, yeah, potentially, because we won them all, didn't we? And then it just went downhill dramatically. Um, and funnily enough, our, our fifth win in a row, was it on Saturday, I think? Um, sixth. sixth win in a yeah. row. And, you know, I looked at the table and I could, couldn't still figure out how we were still ninth. Um, but as you say, you know, closing in on them playoffs and even six points off the top. So, you know, it, it's it's coming together nicely. Um, but, um, yeah, no, as you say, you know, that, that winning run needs to continue and... Uh, got a bit of rest and recuperation time before the league we've got Harrogate on Sunday, Saturday I know but you know we just got to keep going on we've got to keep going on yeah and uh, it, it wasn't Michael Jacobs goal Mark however he played an influential part in ensuring the ball went into the back of the net and uh, it went down as a Jack Tucker own goal Tucker's luck um, but look Michael Jacobs coming off the bench we'll hear the, the post-match thoughts of Danny Cowley in the next part of the show but for a player who started against Wimbledon last Saturday didn't get any game time against Lincoln on Tuesday night but you know came off a bench on Saturday he was still hungry he was still you know had that desire to perform at the top of his game and it was a touch of genius to create that goal yeah it really was Jake um I mean I was I was at the game against Wimbledon last Saturday and Michael Jacobs is arguably our best player on the pitch and you know when he's fully fit which unfortunately in Pompey show hasn't been very often but when he is he's arguably like you know top level league one championship player and you know I think I read an interview recently that said he doesn't fit into our system, but in my opinion, he does because he, he completely changes the game in the last two games he's been on the pitch. So um, it's, it's great to see him enjoying his football and hopefully if he stays match fit, he could be a big big reason why we climb up the table this season. And come a very long way since the start of a season, Tom, Michael Jacobs, that transfer saga with Ipswich. And look, he's just putting his head down now, focusing on the task at hand and performing to the, the best of his abilities for Portsmouth Football Club. Might not have the kind of the match day fitness that Danny Callow requires on a week to week basis, but certainly a great squad you know, great players have within the squad and is making an impact every time he comes onto the pitch. I think that's now fourteen match well no, he's he started thirteen times for Pompey, sorry, since he signed and we've won 11 of them, drawn one and lost mm. one. Didn't start Saturday, of course, but again, just you know, emphasising what he's made that impact. Absolutely. I saw that stat as well, and I was quite shocked. Um, you know, and just rewinding to when we first signed him, I thought that was an incredible signing. That was a really good piece of business, you know, proven in the championship with Wigan. He certainly played their part when they got promoted as well um, from League One. So it's just a shame it hasn't worked out as we all hoped it would have done. You know, injuries have been a big part in that. But hopefully, you know, he's played well in the past two games. He got a goal against Wimbledon as well. Hopefully he can just knuckle down and get on and hopefully Cali will, um, you know, use him a bit more than he has. And, you know, I think Saturday again, he showed why he should be in that team. Yeah. Uh, Linda Mail on my emails got in touch this evening. Good evening to you, Linda. Perhaps it wasn't the best game to watch, but considering our previous games before the run started, this may not have been a win. Okay, it took an own goal to win it, but it still counts. And we've done this without two first team defenders. We kept going to the end to get this victory. We are achieving this run over the last weeks, having to constantly changing our formation due to injuries and suspensions. The players who have come in have stepped up to the plate, which has surprised me. Hopefully, hopefully the players are full of confidence to keep this run going. Player Pompey Linda on the emails. Thank you for getting in touch once again, Linda. And emphasising another great point there, Mark. Pompey on Saturday having to get the victory uh, and you know put in the kind of performance despite even more setbacks for Danny Cowley. Lee Brown opting to, to take himself off the bench due to a niggling back injury. Sean Raggett suspended due to picking up five yellow cards for the season. No recognised centre-back available for Pompey at the weekend, yet still getting the win, still getting the clean sheet. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, I, I watched the game in full and I thought, you know, we, we, were quite, we were quite assured at the back, to be honest. I mean, other than the moment that Akindi managed to turn Ogilvy on the halfway line and the... Uh, in the second half, I believe, you know, we looked pretty self-assured. Whether or not that really reflects how self-assured we were at the back or how poor Gillingham were um, on the day or, or going up front, because I know they had quite a lot of players missing from their first team. Um, no, I, I was I was fairly happy with our performance. I think we looked quite comfortable on the day. Yeah, uh, and rumour has it, Tom, uh, Steve Evans hasn't stopped crying yet. <laughs> it's been quite embarrassing, really, hasn't it? I mean, 
I don't really know what to say. I mean, I've seen everything he's, he's said and, you know, read it all, and it's just unbelievable. I think even Gillingham posted something on their account today about, uh, you know, how they should have had a penalty, and it was a quote <laughs> from Steve Evans, and it's just like, oh, let it go. I mean, it wasn't even a massive game, do you know what I mean? It was not as if there was loads riding on it for them either. You know, right, they're down the bottom and struggling, and they want them, them points is where they can get them, but, you know, get over it. <laughs> And uh, trying to get one of the quotes from Steve Evans at, at the end of the game, actually. Uh, quoted in the saying, and bear in mind, this is someone whose uh, assistant on Saturday uh, told Nicky Cowley, well, I'm not going to say it on air, but he, he, he told him something after he was uh, offered a handshake after the full time whistle. Uh, Steve Evans uh, telling uh, his side of the media, but a lot of people were talking, and no more than Cowley himself, that they felt if they got an early goal, they could do with us. Uh, yeah, man on the moon. They deserve to get beat. We'll listen to the nonsense from him and the superstars. They're nonsense. But if they are honest, which they never are, we will say they deserve to get beat. For all of the big players and moans about who they didn't have, they had one player missing, Sean Raggett. And he is no world star, is he? He's a big, honest competitor in League One and a local boy to Gillingham. But they have made it out as if it is a defensive crisis. Poor Danny, with that big, big budget and big support and fantastic facilities. But good luck to him. Wow. He's taking it. He's taking it pretty well, isn't he? By the mm. sounds of it, it reminds me of a certain uh, "Come Dine with Me" episode. <laughs> Just, oh. I think there was uh, someone made a meme of that. Yeah. I think I'm pretty sure I saw it pop up on Twitter. <laughs> the salt. Oh. Anyway, moving on, Mark. Glad to see that Pompey have got a manager who can actually, when defeated, shoulder the blame, which Pompey haven't done. In in you know often in the last few weeks admittedly but when Pompey have been defeated this season Danny Cowley takes back responsibility and acknowledges where the team needs to improve rather than you know, blaming anyone else Yeah I mean I think Danny Cowley from day one has been credited whether or not we win or lose or, or draw the fans have never really had too much of a bad thing to say about him they might be tactics at times but he always comes in interview after the game and he always seems to you know have his feet firmly on the ground um <laughs> The Steve Evans thing is just ironic, isn't it? You, he, I don't know if he wonders why. You know, maybe many people in football don't like it, but I mean, those comments after the game were just outrageous. I shared it with all my, my pals on, on, on social media. I just couldn't believe it. I saw at one point he was gesturing to one of his players. It was one of the rare moments he wasn't shouting and screaming across the pitch. He was gesturing <laughs> to one of his players to, to, to kind of dive and just to, to go over easily under a challenge. And I think it happened somewhat 90 seconds to two minutes later. And then he's screaming at the referee because he didn't give a free kick. Yet he's just gestured to his, to his player to dive. So he knows that his player's done wrong, yet he's still giving the referee and the officials obscenities because he's not given the... Oh, it's, it just baffles me. Absolutely baffles me. But, hey, look, we haven't got him. And hopefully, we won't. <laughs> right, after the break, we'll hear from a man with a bit more class, Danny Cowley. He talks about uh, Pompey's challenges over the last couple of weeks and his pride at his side have got over those challenges pretty well. It's not just about Davin, who I thought was exceptional today, and, and, and the back five. It was a, it's a collective effort, and yeah, a lot of work goes in to be able to do that, particularly when you play against a team that's so direct as Gillingham. They ask so many questions of you physically, and to lose the key players that we have done in that position has been an incredible challenge for us. Keep getting your text, tweets and emails in to us, Pompey fans. Let us know who your man of the match was on Saturday and how you thought Ronan Curtis held that captaincy role at the weekend. Text for Well Express and your message, followed by your name and message as well to 81400. Include anything. Email Pompey at expressfm.com. Tweet using at expressfm or go over to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Pompey Live. And join us again in a few moments' time for the rest of the Football Hour here on Express FM. This is the Football Hour, 93.7 Express FM. Welcome back to the Football Hour here on Express FM, where I'm this evening joined by Tom Malley and Mark McGee to review all of the events of Pompey's 1-0 victory over Gillingham at the weekend. Don't forget, we want to hear from you back home uh, on your thoughts from a game, your man of a match, and uh, your thoughts on the captaincy given to Ronan Curtis as well. Get them through to us between now and 7 o'clock. All of the usual ways can be found on our website, expressfm.com. But before we do go to any more of those, and before I bring Tom and Mark back into the conversation, we're going to hear the post-match thoughts of Danny Cowley. He caught up with Ollie Marsh at the touchline at Priestfield on Saturday. Well, Danny, six wins on the bounce, a 93rd minute winner today. How good does it feel to be at the wheel right now? Yeah, obviously, it's a, it's a fantastic win. When you consider the amount that gone against us this week to, 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 to have a free game week and take nine points is just credit to the players they've been so adaptable this week you know to come into this game without a recognised centre half 
Um, some kind of Ogilvy's doing an unbelievable imitation along with Sean Williams and Kieran, Kieran Freeman. But for us to, to keep two clean sheets in the last two games with, with the amount that's gone against us in, in, in a defensive area, um, it's just credit to everybody in the squad really. And um, yeah, a really important win for us today. Yeah, to, to get a clean sheet away from home with no recognised centre-backs, how much of a team effort is that to achieve that? Yeah, it's a massive effort and, um, you know, it, it's not just about Gavin, who I thought was exceptional today, and, and, and the back five. It was a, it's a collective effort and, uh, yeah, a lot of work goes in um, to, to be able to do that, particularly when you play against a team that's so direct as Gillingham. They ask so many questions of you physically and to lose the key players that we have done in, in that position has been... Um, it's been an incredible challenge for us and you know, I'm, I'm so proud of the group that they've been able to um, adapt and overcome. Yeah, and those challenges are happening right up until kick-off with um, Lee Brown having to, to drop off the bench last minute. Yeah, it wasn't, hasn't been easy. We had Rico and Brownie who were really struggling going into today's game. Um, Lee's back stiffened up and Rico was, was, was struggling as well. Rico probably 70% fit, has been willing to put himself put the team before himself and, and, and play because literally we had nobody else that could probably fulfil that position that's ready to fulfil that position we've obviously got young Liam Vincent who is still trying to find his fitness and um, needs a lot more experience before he's ready to come and play, play at this level um, so, so for Rico to be willing to do that was great we were hoping that he would be able to share the game with Brownie but Brownie just wasn't happy in the warm up and we just can't afford to take any risks with, with our defensive players at the moment how satisfied were you with the performance today? Obviously, Gillingham were, were trying to stop your rhythm, but you, you had a lot of grit and, and you dug deep. Well, uh, listen, I, I think it's a really difficult place to come here and, and play well, play with rhythm and fluency. I, I've probably watched 10 games against Gillingham this season and I don't think anybody's played well against them. And that's credit to Gillingham because they, they are direct, they're physical, they compete. They kind of, they make it very, very difficult for you. You, you end up in a... You've got to try to compete and then be good enough to to, to then make the first pass and the second pass and, and find your rhythm. And um, we competed. We probably didn't do well enough on the ball. I, I thought we looked. I didn't think we played with the, the energy or the intensity in possession. We didn't work hard enough to make angles for each other. Um, I thought some of our execution wasn't as good as it could have been. Um, but listen, when the, when the skill's not quite there, make sure the will is, and, and sometimes the will is, is more important than the skill, as it, as it proved today. Talk to us about Ronan Curtis as captain today. Yeah, just I thought he deserved it. You know, since since the window is shut, I think he's played for the team. I think he's worked incredibly hard. I think he's, he leads with his personality. Um, I thought he was exceptional on Tuesday. And, you know, there's other players at the moment that maybe are getting the headlines, but he's doing so much for the team. And I just wanted to, to recognise that and, 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 and I thought he was deserving of it. And I knew that he'd emptied himself on Tuesday. I knew today was going to be exceptionally hard for him to go again. And I thought that the, the captaincy would, would help him. And uh, I, I thought he, he, he gave a real wholehearted performance today. Just finally, freezing cold today, but you look like you would have happily stayed out there all evening with the, with the Pompey fans at the end. Oh, wow, they were just brilliant. And, you know, I thought... Wow, just an, an open stand. I don't know how many were there today, but they sung their heart out and they were so deserving of that winner. I mean, I'm not quite sure how it went in. I can only think that they, they sucked the ball into the goal. Um, and, and listen, credit to Michael Jacobs because he played Saturday against Wimbledon, did, did, did great. He didn't play Tuesday because we thought he'd come around a little bit too quick. We desperately tried to fit him into the team today. But without Sean Ragger, we had to go to the back three and we just couldn't work the team with, with Michael in it. Um, he trained brilliantly yesterday. He didn't sulk, he didn't whinge. He just accepted it, understood it and was ready to help the team when the team needed him most. And he's touch off from the throw and to create the space to then then be able to um, to finish as he did was was, was sublime and um, yeah, really pleased for him and I'm really pleased for everybody associated with the club because you know it's been it's been tough and we're we're now we're now six wins on the trot nine unbeaten and we're fighting fighting exceptionally hard um, and I'm just pleased for our supporters because that, you know where else in the world would that many supporters come in freezing Arctic conditions and, uh, and, and get behind their team like they did today and they were so deserving of that win. 
Danny Cowley there speaking to Ollie Marsh on the touchline at Priestfield after the full-time whistle on Saturday. Tom Malley and Mark McGee both uh, at Gillingham at the weekend. Uh, part of his 1,400 Pompey fans made the trip uh, to Kent. Not a long one, but certainly in frozen conditions. Tom, I don't know about you, but I mean, I was up in the press box. I was a little bit more fortunate. I wasn't exposed to the open air, but it was still absolutely freezing. I couldn't feel any part of my body. You must have been absolutely... Well, frozen. <laughs> oh, I was. It was unexpected. I knew it was going to be cold, but not that cold. It was. It was almost Baltic conditions. Um, if it was, if it wasn't already, yeah, it was horrible. And you know that stand as well is uncovered as well. And uh, you know you, you're exposed to your, to all the elements. Um, it, yeah, but it was it was awful. But you know what? The last minute would have made it worth it. Yeah. Um, you know, I th- I'm sure a lot of people would have contemplated going at half time. It was that cold. But um, yeah, the winner made it all worth it. Don't worry, Tom. You mentioned the stand. It's only temporary. <laughs> yeah, for the past twenty years, yeah. isn't it? That's right. About 20, 22 years, I think it's been standing there. Incredible. Mark, you're also part of that, certainly warmed up by the chaos and the carnage at the end of the game. Uh, let's talk about Brennan Curtis quickly then before we do move on. Then captain at the weekend, of course, uh, Sean Raggett not within the side. Clark Robertson uh, still injured, of course, and uh, Lee Brown dropping out of the team. Were you surprised initially with the decision to give uh, Brennan Curtis the captain's armband, considering the fact that Sean Williams was still on the pitch? Yeah, I actually was. Um, <clears throat> didn't didn't actually realise until sort of like, the game had got underway that he actually was in possession of the armband but um you know i thought about it in my head and it makes complete sense i mean the man's drive and passion on the pitch mm. is unrivaled isn't it oh, i mean every it. game every game we see him flinging his arms and fists in the air at every every decision that goes against us and, and you love it because you feel like he's almost like coming from the fans perspective he feels like a fan on representing us on the pitch sometimes so i think in terms of passion and in terms of someone who actually cares about the club's result i feel like there isn't a bad choice to be honest certainly a bit of a shock Tom however I think like Mark mentioned towards the end there once the game got going and you know kind of not even 10 minutes into the match you can actually kind of realise why Danny Cowley has given Ronan Curtis the armband might not be as experienced in terms of game time and and, and years compared to some of his his teammates but certainly with the passion and, and, and the desire and the fight and the connection with the supporters that he's got yeah no brainer Absolutely, I was I was quite surprised because of the defensive frailties we had. You know, with no centre backs, Sean Williams would have been sort of someone perfect, not necessarily a forward player like um, like Curtis was. But he was he was good. You know, he's got the passion, the desire, the commitment. I even saw him, you know, gesturing towards the fans to get behind the team. You know, he was ready. He was he was firing us up. He was firing the team up. Um, he's got all the qualities for it. I think. Um, you know, despite being a forward player and a winger, you know, but at the end of the day, that doesn't matter if if he's got what it takes. And um, I think he definitely stepped up to the plate with that one. Yeah. And uh, within that interview with uh, Danny Cowley there, Mark, he mentions about Rico Hackett only being really 70% fitness at the moment. And I don't think you could really recognise that because the lad's been on fire this season. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't realise that. I can't say I picked up on it myself. Um, you know, he put in a real decent shift and... To be honest, I thought, you know, when he did come off, um, which I believe he did, I think it was, I thought, I thought it was going to be completely tactical. Mm. Um, but, you know, I, I know we're quite light on the left-hand side of defence. I know Liam Vincent isn't quite ready yet to step up to the first team. So I guess that was one of our only options, but he, he did it well. No, oh, definitely, definitely. Rico Hackett coming on leaps and bounds this season. As again, uh, George Hurst, Tom, putting in a, another decent shift on Saturday. Didn't quite come off for him in terms of getting the goal or you know setting up a goal for George Hurst on Saturday. But certainly, well, certainly now a very highly regarded member of this team and certainly someone who's going to kind of keep John Marquis out of Bay of side. We've heard this week that John Marquis is back in training. He's available for selection for Saturday's visit with Harrogate in the FA Cup. But when it comes to next Tuesday, when Pompey take on Sheffield Wednesday at Fratton Park in League One, John Marquis is going to have quite a difficult time getting into that side. He is, and Hurst nearly got himself a goal on Saturday as well, I think within the first couple of minutes. He, yeah. he hit the bar. Um, and it just goes to show, you know, he was getting slated. Um, matter of one two weeks ago even before the Wimbledon game as well and it just shows one good performance you know can just change a player around completely their confidence is boosted and that's what we've seen with Hurst I think he scored against Palace didn't he uh, in the Papa John's trophy and ever yeah. since then he's been a mainstay up front and um, didn't quite go go his way on Saturday but you know he's not going to play perfect every game but he's certainly shown you know that he's got it in and I'm happy to see him in the team uh, you know going into Sheffield Wednesday next week yeah tough game against Sheffield Wednesday next Tuesday by the way Mark but after that Pompey have got a, a fairly favourable run heading into Christmas Morecambe at home um, I know they've been scoring a lot of goals recently most notably Cole Stockton but of the sides Pompey have beaten in the last nine you know eight or nine matches 
certainly not fearing teams like Morecambe or AFC Wimbledon. So heading into the Christmas period, Pompey have now got a great chance to move even closer to that top six, albeit with sides above us having games in hand, but try and get as many points on the board heading into that kind of Christmas New Year period, reassess in January, maybe get some more you know, players in, strengthen the, the, the squad a little bit. Who knows where we can kick on from there? Yeah, exactly. And and as um, as you both said, like you know, we're only we're six points off the top. Okay, let's not get carried away. But we are Pompey fans. We're winning all, the but... league. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> we 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 were talking Christmas again, like last year. Yeah. <laughs> but, that um, ends well. No, I mean, <laughs> but I mean, like look, at the end of the day, like you know, it's it's great to see the team finally clicking, and we just got to live in the moment and enjoy it. I mean, you're right. Sheffield Wednesday is going to be a tough, tough, um, tough fixture, and I think yeah, Morecambe aren't going to be rolled over too easily. Um, but you know, I feel like we, we grind out that result at Gillingham mm. on on Saturday with a lot of key players missing, and it just goes to show the confidence and the ability that our squad have now. Definitely, uh, Graham Wilkins on the emails. As I said on Saturday, it was a great win against the Jills, managed by the biggest win during league football. Uh, not sure, Graham. Have you met John Yems Crawley? Also, my man of the match was uh, Conor Ogilvie again, who is just getting better each match. On another note, I went to watch the Pompey women play for the first time yesterday, and what a good game it was in the FA Cup, and also got to see my goddaughter play as well. That's great. It was a very competitive game against Bournemouth and a well-deserved 2-1 win, and they are, now they are in the third-round tie at home to them lot down the road. Let's hope for a big crowd. Thank you to Graham for getting in touch, and uh, yeah, getting in touch with that news. The Pompey women have been drawn against Southampton in the third round of the FA Cup, but it's fine. Pompey love playing those like down the road in the FA Cup. Men or women, we love doing it. And uh, that game is to be played on Sunday the 12th of December. And only three days later, Pompey are playing the same side, Southampton, in the league on Wednesday the uh, 15th of December, which has been played at Fratton Park. The FA Cup game on the Sunday at Wesley Park and the league match on the Wednesday night at Fratton Park. So a huge week uh, for Pompey and Southampton for South Coast Derby hitting the women's side of the game. Uh, very quickly then, Tom, before we do head into the next part of the show, you've got around about 30 seconds or so. What has been the defining factor in Pompey achieving such a great run as of late? One result, I think, does it sometimes. And then if you can get pick up a second result after that, it does it. I think the Wickham game stands out. Um, and from then on, it, it's just been wins, hasn't it? Um, mm. It's just, like I said, one good performance really gets the team together. And, you know, them celebrations on Saturday for that goal, you know, I think all the players run over. You could see how much it meant to them. And that's just what you need to build up. Six weeks ago, you wouldn't have got that. Six weeks later, after another five, six wins, you've got it. Yeah. It's really that simple. One, two good results. And it can just turn things around, not just on the pitch, but off it as well. And I'm sure the team morale is sky high at the moment. Yeah. OK, uh, Tom Malik, thank you ever so much for joining us on the show this evening. Cut short tonight because we've got a big interview with Andy Cullen coming up next. Thank you for joining us, mate. Pleasure as always. And Mark McGee over uh, over Facebook this evening. Thank you for calling in tonight. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure and I'm sure we'll hear from you again soon. Cheers, buddy. Thank you to both Tom and Mark once again. OK, then, in the final part of tonight's show, we'll be hearing from Pompey CEO Andrew Cullen, who spoke to Ollie Marsh over the weekend about phase one of the redevelopment of Fratton Park, ensuring supporters that the historical elements of the stadium will remain intact. One of the bits of feedback that we had from the drawings was how the lattice work in the south stand would look because it was quite hidden. So I think the video really starts to bring that out and so it becomes very, very pronounced, which is really important to getting that uh, Archibald Leach architecture back into place and people can appreciate that and see that. Join us again for the conclusion of the Football Hour here on Express FM. This is the Football Hour 93.7 Express FM. Welcome back for the final time tonight to the Football Hour here on Express FM, brought to you by Stagecoach Across the South. Head to stagecoachbus.com for more information on fares, routes and timetables. Now we're going to hear an update from Pompey Chief Executive Andrew Cullen, who sat down with Ollie Marsh from the Pompey Media team over the weekend to talk more about phase one of the redevelopment of Fratton Park. Well Andy, thanks very much for joining us for an update on stadium redevelopment at Fratton Park. First of all, how excited are you to be able to present these images of what the Fratton Park redevelopment will look like? I think we're incredibly excited. Uh, a fortnight ago, we uh, launched the images of the uh, new North Stand and the South Stand, which uh, I think have caused uh, a huge amount of interest, uh, a lot of comment, much of it very, very positive uh, as to how it's going to look like. So we thought what we would try and do next was bring it to life. So we've produced a, uh, a fly-through video which uh, supporters 
uh, can now see. We're delighted to share those and I think it brings everything a little bit more closer together. One of the things that, uh, one of the bits of feedback that we had from the drawings was how the lattice work in the south stand uh, would look because it was quite hidden. So I think the, the video really starts to uh, bring that out and so it becomes very, very pronounced, which is really important to getting that uh, Archibald Leach architecture back into place and people can appreciate that and see that. So um, yeah, so I think as we go round the ground, probably it's uh, an opportunity to, to talk about the, the different things that are happening in each of the, each of the three stands. So if I start with the North Stand uh, first, then obviously we've started uh, the work um, in the summer by putting the uh, seats in the upper tier. Uh, from uh, the start of January, we start work in the lower tier, which will uh, start to see uh, the capacity increased. Uh, it's quite exciting in that uh, we get to a situation where we get uh, 11 DDA seats, wheelchair seats in a pitch level, a further 12 higher up. Um, we start to increase uh, the milling space in the concourses. Um, I'm very, very conscious that a lot of the concourses in the stadium are very, very difficult to work, but difficult to operate. They lead to increased queuing times, and that's something as part of this project that we can start to uh, you know, make better, improve the experience. So. The area towards uh, the concourse, the main concourse that's used is towards the Milton end. So we're going to cover the area, uh, the last un uncovered part of the, the, the that part of the concourse, which is uh, immediately opposite the concession, will be covered up. Uh, we're going to invest in that. Um, that will be done pretty quickly. Uh, that will then increase the milling space. Towards the centre of the stand, we're going to create um, another canteen, another kiosk area, which will be able to be accessed from the outside as well as the inside. So again, that starts to create a little bit more space and hopefully improve the experience in the North Stand. Moving round to the Milton end where the work will commence in 2023. So that will um, obviously give us the ability again to put a few more seats in. Most importantly, it really improves the experience for disabled supporters. It's pretty poor at Fratton Park. I know that from having been uh, at two previous clubs and you know, away supporters have to sit with the home supporters. That's not a great experience for them. Obviously, a lot of people are forced to sit in the rain um, and it's not been a brilliant experience. So this starts to redress that particular problem. So um, away supporters can sit with their, with their fans. Um, home supporters also will have facilities in that area as well. So again, we start to create uh, far more greater number of seats for wheelchairs and personal assistance, both at, uh, at the top level and the pitch level as well. So that will be a, a, a really, really um, improvement again in the facilities that we're able to offer. The other thing that we can start to do is um, create um, the ability to sell alcohol in that stand because previously uh, the kiosks have been in view of the pitch. And again, the redevelopment of this stand means that we get to a, a situation whereby um, uh, it's not in view of the pitch. appreciate that's all part of the fan-led review and people are looking at that currently, but it means we can immediately get to that situation regardless of uh, where the fan-led review of government actually goes in respect of being able to drink in view of the pitch. So again, that's, uh, that, that's, that's again a, another big, big improvement in terms of the experience for our supporters. And then we get to the south stand and uh, that's probably the most exciting dy dynamic part of the project because we start to make the current arrangement which is up here, the hanging basket arrangement and then the lower tier all become one where we put a steel substructure into place which enables us to marry up everything together so you can then improve the safety, you can improve the access and the egress uh, arrangements for supporters to uh, to leave the stadium safely. The sight lines become much more improved. Um, we get to a, a possibility as well where we can increase the number of hospitality places which generates some increased revenue for, for, for the football club. Uh, we then also uh, again can create more uh, concourse space down below as well. We're doing a couple of things uh, behind the scenes which will, which will increase the number of kiosks. So again we get a much much more safer uh, stand created. We, we, we take out the danger of the moat at the moment which uh, is, uh, causes concern I think both for players and supporters in those areas. So uh, you know that, that's really important. Probably the most um, 
pronounced feature on that is the TV gantry. And I think it's important to say at the moment that that won't be done in the first phase of the south stand. The reason being is it will take um, quite a lot of time to get that structure into place. And if we were to do that this summer, which is when the main works are being done, then we would not be able to have that stand open and ready um, you know, well into next season. And of course, we want to get the south stand um, and North Stand lower, everything complete as close to the start of the season as we possibly can. So that will come later and probably be done during a close season period to bring everything into place with the, uh, with the South Stand. So um, that, uh, that, 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 that's, that work will mainly all take place over the course of uh, this coming summer and uh, we'll start then to uh, go through the processes of how supporters are impacted and affected in terms of their own seats. And you mentioned at the start their work in the North Stand has, has commenced and is ongoing so just thinking in the short term how is that work going to affect supporters particularly in the North Stand for the remainder of this season? Well this is an incredibly complex process. I've never been involved in a situation where supporters have had to be re relocated during the season. Um, we've known things tend to happen at the start of seasons across the close season and, and that's where you'd want to do much of the work. However, the consequences of delaying this work would mean a reduction in, in, in stadium capacity, uh, which will uh, not, uh, not be good for anybody. We've got to carry on with these works. So given that it is a complicated process, um, I think the first thing to do was to engage uh, a, a group of affected supporters and we were very fortunate to be joined over a course of a couple of meetings by 20 supporters from the North Lower who have worked with the executive at the club to formulate the plan uh, in terms of communications, the relocation uh, and also looking at uh, how people will ultimately move back to their seats uh, for next season. So um, that process took place um, uh, over the end of October, beginning of November. We're well into it now. Uh, we've written to every affected supporter in blocks uh, A to E and F to K. So the work will start initially in blocks A to E. A to e. Blocks F to K will not be affected um, over the course of January, but those in blocks A to E are affected. So we have written to everybody, communicated with everybody, asking for their preferences of where they would like to go from the period of games which commence on the 8th of January with Wigan Athletic uh, through to the end of the season. Um, most people have now responded. I think we've got about a 90-95% response rate, which is really, really encouraging. Um, the first uh, part of that process will mean that people who were uh, dislocated from their seats in blocks F to K um, at the start of the season will now immediately be able uh, to move back to their seats um, from the game against uh, Sheffield Wednesday. They have been sent, um, uh, they'll be sent tickets next week, their new season cards will go out next week and they'll be able to be in those seats from, uh, uh, from that particular game. Uh, there'd be people in blocks A to E who were dislocated, they've been given the option of staying where they are because they will have to move anyway uh, from the Wigan game on January 8th. And a good number have elected to stay where they are. Some have asked to move back for those three games and they will start to receive um, paper tickets uh, for the two games against Morecambe and Sheffield Wednesday um, over, over the next week. And then uh, they will then receive a ticket uh, for the Oxford game and their new season card for their new seats or from, from, from the um, beginning of uh, uh, the week after next. So all those things are starting to come into place. The big move will be for those people who are moving um, to other areas out of blocks A to E. So they've been unaffected so far, but will have to move from the 8th of January. So they've uh, given us their preferences. We are working through those at the moment. Um, we should complete that process by uh, the middle of next week. Uh, and then they will then receive details of their new seats. The good news is I think in nearly all cases, uh, we've been able to cater for either first or second preferences. Um, when those seat details are sent out, we will attach a, a small survey form for people to confirm one, that they're happy with that seat or two, if they wish to have um, a call back from the ticket office to discuss further, 
that will be an option open to them. What we're particularly keen to avoid is long queues at the ticket office as we experienced in August where everybody coming down on the first day they get the letters. So we're really appealing to people to uh, ask for a call back if they've got any questions and we'll deal with them and if necessary we can arrange for some appointments and then to come into the football club at a time which means minimal fuss, minimal waiting for them at what is a busy time of the year with people getting prepared for Christmas and everything else. So. We don't want to see long queues, we don't want people to be agitated, but we're hoping that the majority of people will come back on the survey and confirm yes, that they're happy with the uh, preference that we've given uh, to them for uh, their new seat from the 8th of August. After the Morecambe game, uh, we will then uh, load uh, those um, preferences onto uh, a new season ticket card, and then they will receive a, a ticket for the Oxford game, and their new season ticket card effective from the 8th of January. And of course something that you, you said before the process even began is that you wanted input from supporters. What measures were taken to make sure that their voices were heard during this? Well as I said previously we set up the working groups to get us through this process, very very complex process and one which this, the support we've had back and the feedback and the help and the ideas we've had from those work that what the supporters on that working group have been invaluable to us to make better decisions and it's something we want to do going forward so uh, the next part of the process will be we will have to move people back into the North Stand Lower uh, into blocks A to E and indeed blocks, blocks F to K from the start of next season. Uh, F to K work will um, start in the summer and should be completed uh, in August but it will mean that everybody when they go back will see a slightly different configuration of seats so again we need to work for that process after Christmas the working group will reconvene and we will get back together to start to look at uh, the, the options so people can be reassured that they will be going back to an area with their family and friends if they've had aisle seats before, um, unrestricted view seats before, all those things are catered for. That's really, really important to us to get that process right. We could have done it pre-Christmas as well, but we just felt we were asking for too much and that was the view of the supporters that we should do this in two parts and I think they're absolutely fundamentally right that we this particular way. So that will be the next stage of the communication that we will do with supporters. We'll meet with the working group again, reconvene and of course when the south stand is redeveloped there will be some changes to the configurations there as well. So we'll adopt a similar process with affected south stand season ticket holders, use the experience of what's happened with the North Stand Lower to get us to a, to a situation where hopefully we're making better decisions and simplifying the process for everybody uh, and getting to a stage where we're inconveniencing um, as few people as possible. I think I have to say that, you know, it's difficult. It's going to be a situation where a lot of people are going to be inconvenienced one way or the other, but I'm really, really hoping that um, in the long term, you know, we get the capacity back up to 20,000 really really important that we do that you know that we that we you know we build on we encourage people to come and watch live football at Portsmouth continue to allow new generations of supporters to come and support their local football team and this is absolutely crucial we do work which let's face it is so long overdue um, and delighted that the 11 and a half million pound investment that Michael and his family have made have brought this to reality but uh, it comes a little bit of pain um, but we're encouraged I think a lot of people understand supportive and we're very very grateful for that and just you mentioned that keyword capacity there what what's the capacity looking like for post christmas yeah so the capacity at the moment is uh, just under seventeen and a half thousand. but of course we lose all those seats in blocks a to e we do get some back in blocks f to k with people moving back and all those seats becoming available and we still can meet the capacity restrictions so the capacity will reduce to sixteen thousand two hundred. Uh, after 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 Christmas, um, but for the start of next season, um, we will be really going back towards nineteen thousand. So very very quickly we get to that situation. I think in terms of the second half of the season, the hyper teams that are coming to Fratton Park, the majority won't bring full capacity. So it will mean that we can start to use uh, the Milton End as extra capacity for home supporters in a lot of instances. So wherever possible, we, we, we will do that. I think there's very few teams looking at the fixtures and as things stand that will bring full, full capacities. Charlton maybe, um, but most of the others I think will probably be between 500 to um, you know, eight to 900 supporters, which means we can use some of the Milton End capacity as well to good effect.
And just finally to finish on, I know that you've mentioned a few already, but what are the key things that supporters can do to help you and, and help the ticket office staff during this process? Well, we're really, really grateful for everyone's patience. Um, I think I have to underline that this is a very, very um, complex process again, and it does you know, lead to additional stress and pressures on our box office team who obviously are dealing with other fixtures coming up. Obviously, we've got exciting games coming up over Christmas. Uh, we've got the uh, FA Cup. We've got uh, other things that are all happening at the moment. So, um, as I said, if, we, if you find that when we write to you with uh, your allocated seat uh, that it's not right, then the biggest thing you can possibly do is just indicate on the form that you'd like a call back from the box office. I think that would be you know, that's something we will then call you back, discuss other options. Don't panic because we will try and find a solution. There are other seats in the stadium that we can find for you if you're not happy with the seat that we've selected. I hope that the process we've undertaken by giving people the ability to state their preferences mean in most cases we're able to satisfy them. But we accept we cannot please everybody. Um, and we just ask everybody's consideration with that. And that, um, you know, just to help us by when the survey goes out to, to, to respond to that. Even if you're happy with the seat, don't just leave it, just tell us, because then we can get on with the process of um, sort of getting cards sorted and those seat arrangements confirmed, which will be fantastic in terms of uh, speeding the process up. So uh, yeah, we'd ask, we'd ask for patience, we'd ask for support, um, and we'll do our very, very best for all our supporters. Andy Cullen there catching up with Ollie Marsh on Friday night to talk all things Fratton Park, updating supporters on the timescale of the project, uh, the details regarding moving fans during the work and the hopes of improving the match day experience at PO4. Well, that is it from us tonight, I'm afraid. Once again, a huge thanks to both Tom Malley and Mark McGee for joining me on the show this evening. I will be back at the same time on Friday night to preview this weekend's FA Cup second round tie against Harrogate Town. I'll be joined by two more Pompey fans to preview all of the action at Fratton Park. And you can join us for that game here on Express FM when Pompey Live returns this weekend. We'll be back from two o'clock on Saturday afternoon. Everything we do is passionately Pompey. You wouldn't believe it! Pompey lies. Six wins in a row and nine unbeaten for Pompey. Jack Tucker's own goal in the 93rd minute at Priestfield gave the Blues a 1-0 victory away from home. Next up, the visit of Harrogate Town to Fratton Park in the FA Cup second round. Do join us for all of the unmissable action this Saturday from 2. Pompey Live on Express FM with Aqua Cars. We look forward to welcoming you here on Express FM for all of the coverage of Pompey against Harrogate Town on Saturday afternoon. Join me again on Friday night here on the Footballer, as I mentioned before. I'll be here from 6 through till 7 with Tom. Tom Malley, uh, Tom Chappell, sorry, and Robbie Fahey. Tom Malley doesn't want to come on that soon again. Uh, Tom Chappell and Robbie Fahey making his debut on the Footblower this Friday night. Jeff and Ada back after the 7 o'clock news with the Soft Rock Show. They'll be uh, joined by No Rome, Ghosts of Sunset, Glass Animals and Wet Leg with their latest music, as well as music from this week in history, including The Clash and Deep Purple. That 80 show returns with Kevin Stokes from 9 through to 11, and it is Kevin's 60th show this evening. He's got a Connect Four, Double Scotch, and plenty of 80s belters for you tonight. And the Express wind down through from 11 through till 2 a.m. on Tuesday morning. Nicola Lashley is back with Portsmouth Breakfast tomorrow morning from 6.30 through till 10. Ian James returns from 1 through till 4, chatting to local people, finding Pompey musical genius with the lyric line and, of course, delivering the victory years from 2. Mason Jordan's here from 4 through till 6 with Drive Time. And then Ian James is back on air from 6 through till 7 with the Southern Co-op Show. Thank you for everybody who tuned in tonight and got involved on the social media channels. Have a great week, Pompey fans, and we'll see you again on Friday night. Take care and play up Pompey.